All righty, I want to welcome everybody out today to a brand new episode of the Let's Talk Local podcast. My name is Chris Hollifield. I am your host. Welcome to my podcast, everybody. Welcome to my show where I chat with locals, professionals, business owners, artists, musicians, food truck owners, authors, really anybody here in the state of Utah, people that are doing really cool things. I bring them on my podcast and I have them share their story with you guys. Today on the podcast, Tom Wheatley, he actually comes into my podcast studio and shares his story about the Utah Meat Collective, his farm and butcher shop out in Spanish Fork, the classes that he teaches. We're going to get into that conversation here in just a minute. But before we do that, I got to give some love to our show sponsor, you guys, the Red Sign Real Estate Team. This is actually the real estate team that I'm on. And uh, so if you're looking to move to Utah, Maybe you're looking uh, to just downsize. Maybe you're looking to move across town. Give me a call. Shoot me a text. 801-244-2908. I would love to answer any real estate related questions for you or, or help you out. Maybe you have some questions about the market. I'd love to uh, to be that uh, person for you that uh, helps you out. You know, maybe you, maybe you just have a quick question. Again, text me 801-244-2908. The Red Sign Real Estate Team, many thanks to them for uh, sponsoring this episode. Like I said, Tom Wheatley from the Utah Meat Collective is on this episode. So let's jump into the conversation. Enjoy. Well, I kind of want to start with you uh, right at the very beginning, Tom, um, just because I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that are unfamiliar with what you do, what you have going on. But let's just start with the Utah Meat Collective, right? That's what, what is it? I mean, what, what are you about? I mean, are you the founder of this or what's the story there? Yep. So I am the founder of the Utah Meat Collective, but it's not an original idea. Okay. Uh, the idea came to me as I was nearing retirement uh, from 30 years in corporate America. I was pondering what the next chapter in my life was going to look like. Yeah. Along the, the way, I ran into a book written by a lady named Camus Davis, and she wrote a book called Killing It. And that talks about her journey from corporate America, coincidentally, to uh, the world of butchery. And she went uh, to France. I didn't do anything quite so fancy. Uh, but she talked about really a lot of things that were resonating with me and how I was feeling about our food system, about how animals are treated, animal welfare, the quality of meat we're getting, a bunch of stuff like that. And she got back from France, lived in Portland, started the Portland Meat Collective. In her book, she offers to those of her audience that reads the book, that wanted to start their own meat collective, she was on board. She would help. Now, she had a nonprofit that she asked you to contribute to, which I did, but then she and I had a few conversations along the way. She did offer her help and advice, but we're really, there. any meat collective is very independent. So the naming convention, I borrowed from her, but the ideas are mine. I am the founder of it. It's It's my thing, my baby. I get to decide what we do and and uh, how we go about teaching what I call transparent meat education, which means we don't really hold anything back. If we have slaughter classes all the way up to really almost some cooking classes. What is it exactly that you offer? So you offer classes and yep. resources. Yep. So I'm in a unique position. So uh, leading into retirement, one of the, there's a couple things that, uh, that I knew that 
uh, I wanted to do. One of them was to raise and butcher pigs. And I can't explain that necessarily. I don't know why or when that, that idea came to me, but I think the pig's a magnificent animal. There's a lot of greatness that can come from a pig and really a celebration of, of, uh, of a very cool animal. I wanted to, to do that. So we bought a small farm uh, leading into my retirement. So when uh, we, we bought the farm, while the house was being constructed, I was building pig enclosures okay. uh, so that I could again, have my pigs, raise them. And, and then I figured out how to build a little butcher shop. And again, this was, this was primarily for me that I'm a lifelong hunter. So I'm a native Utah. I've hunted my whole life on the, on the rare occasion that I'm successful. I've always enjoyed cutting up and processing my own deer, elk, antelope, whatever wild game that I've harvested from the field. And I wanted to continue that or extend that into domestic domestic uh, animals and so, so before before just sorry to interject you there but were, have you ever raised animals prior to this no, no no i mean well chickens chickens are kind of the gateway drug for homesteaders okay so we we start with chickens and then we end up you know a lot of people end up with goats or sheep and then some of them end up with rabbits and some of them end up with quail i ended up with pigs, with pigs, and and now we have pigs, and we have turkeys, and we have chick uh, meat chickens. We have beef on our farm, so yeah, we've got we've got a kind of a uh, I don't know, we've got a bunch of different animals. So no farming experience really prior to any of this. No outdoors experience um, as a as a sportsman, but no farming experience. No, I had to. I had to learn everything as I went, but the cool thing is, is I had helpers. You know, we all have helpers when we run into problems and there were people out there that had done it before or were in the process of doing it and were, I could reach out to and ask questions of, and, and those people are still important to me in my life. And, and we became, we've become great friends and, and now I am that helper to other people in terms of raising animals or pigs and so how big is your farm now? How many acres do you have? So we bought five and a half acres. Um, it is in Spanish Fork. That's our mailing address, but we're actually in the county. Okay. Uh, so we're, we sit right between Spanish Fork and Salem. And we built uh, built our retirement home there. And the existing home or the home that was on the property, I was able to convert that uh, with the county's blessing. No, there's no no secrets there to, uh, to a meat shop. Uh, and uh, so there's some rooms and that we uh, use for office space and that kind of stuff. But the old home that was on the property we've kept. And then we have a, a, another home on the property uh, just kind of beside it. So let's talk about your classes that you offer. Sure. At uh, uh, your, your place there. What, what, what are some of the classes? So right now the classes that I'm offering are uh, one-on-one chicken processing or poultry processing. Okay. And what that entails is, and the, the reason that a farm is important is if you're offering livestock classes and you're starting with a live animal, you need a live animal. And so having a farm is pretty handy when it comes to that. So we raise chickens uh, specifically for use in meat. And then I uh, work with folks that want to sign up for the class in a one-on-one environment. We both start with one of my live chickens out of my, uh, out of my, my flock and we go through all the steps from dispatching the chicken all the way to packaging it ready for the fridge, freezer, or or oven. And so the chicken is live. 
Yes. When, when people get there, the day of the class. 100%. And, and does one of the people taking the class get to be the one who, yep, yep. who I guess, let's just be on, kill it, I yep. guess? Uh, it's, is that the proper term to use? I mean, it sounds yeah. so, so gruesome, I guess. Yeah, kill, kill is a term that um, I, I actually prefer to use okay. because we – you know, di- I I used the term dispatch earlier, but that's yeah. a, that's kind of a, a a way to gray it out a little bit. But really, we are killing the animal, and I think yeah. to acknowledge that that yeah, we're killing it um, is is an important part of consuming meat. If we're going to consume meat, whether we we can't, we're, whether we're a farmer or a butcher, or we just go to a, gro- a grocery store or a fast food restaurant, and there's meat there. There was an animal at one point that was alive in that process. And so yeah. acknowledging that and, and coming to grips with that, I think, is an important part of eating meat responsibly. Now, are you the one actually teaching the classes or do you have other people as well? For the most part, I teach the classes. I do have a, a couple folks that I rely on that will come help me at times. Uh, beef is one of the classes that are is pretty popular. And beef is a pretty complex butch, uh, butchering project. And it's a big project, so I have a, a full-time butcher friend that comes and helps me with that. Uh, great guy, and he and I work really closely together. The other thing uh, we do on the cla- on the classes is we offer uh, demonstrations or workshops on farm slaughter. Mm. Some of the farm slaughter I'll do myself. Uh, some of the farm slaughter requires equipment or uh, heavy lifting equipment, like okay. if you're slaughtering beef. So Hebrew, I've become friends with Chad at Hebrew Valley Meat. They have a mobile slaughter unit. Uh, they come out and they'll kill the animal and then get it ready for butchery, which involves after it's dead, skinning it, eviscerating it, splitting it usually. And then I have a walk-in cooler at my butcher shop and we'll then move it from the field into my, into my walk-in cooler. So a uh, cool thing is a lot of the animals that come to my farm that are going to be food for either our family or someone else's family, they don't have to be transported somewhere else to be, to be killed or dispatched. They're, they're done right there at the farm, which is, in my opinion, less stressful for them because they're in their environment. They're not moved. They're not trailered. It's not a new experience for them. And uh, that's, that's how I like to do it. How did you learn how to do all this? Just take some classes too? So that was, that's a, that's a great question. So I, uh, or this book, I guess. Yeah. Well, the book was part of it, but then I, one of the things I understood pretty early on is I did not have the skill. Okay. And what what skill? So the, 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 the butchering skill of really how to, how to cut up a pig. We'll just take a pig for example, uh, in a, in a professional way. And so I made a pest of myself uh, with uh, what I think is the best whole animal butcher shop in Utah, Beltex Meats up in Salt Lake City. Um, I, I started, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, I started okay. nagging Phil, who's the owner. And in, I think I nagged him appropriately uh, because uh, in the culinary world, there's a, there's a phrase called stage and it's spelled stage, but what it really means is apprentice. Okay. And I asked him to let me stage at his shop and I would be volunteer service. I would go there and just shut up and learn is kind of what was my attitude going in. 
I think it took about a year of me on occasion just asking him, hey, if you got an opportunity, is there an opening? And you're willing to do it at no charge, and he was still just skeptical of... No, not skeptical. He's... Uh, he's he has plenty of opportunities for guys for for guys in the culinary world to come work for him in okay. a stage environment. So it was about trying to find a window or an opening that worked, and then also whether or not I was serious uh, about it. I think that was part of maybe part of his reluctance because I'm not in the culinary world, and that's mostly who he deals with is people that are chefs or working sure. in kitchens. I'm a producer again. I'm a farmer, and so am I. Am I? serious and it took a while and I eventually he figured out that I was serious at least serious enough to show up on time and I did and it was amazing to work in a great shop around great people and see the level of quality and the expectation of what people were going to expect in good quality butchery and good quality meat I became friends with some of the people that I worked alongside and then COVID hit uh, so this Good old been, COVID, right? Yeah, this was 2019. I was I was working uh, at uh, at uh, Beltex uh, one day a week for an eight week period, so it wasn't a ver- real long time. And during COVID, a lot of people wanted to get their animals processed, but couldn't. I happened to have a butcher shop. I also happened to have just made friends with a, a butcher shop at your place in at, Spanish Fork. at my place. Yeah, and I just happened to have made friends with. What uh, a lady named Michelle, who is a master butcher, and she wanted to make some extra money, and Belt and Beltex, among lots of other businesses, were struggling figuring out how they were going to continue to stay busy during COVID. Uh, so I went out and found pigs for us to cut up, and you know, kind of marketed myself. And so we, Michelle and I, cut up pig after pig after pig after pig, and and that was really so the time at Beltex plus the relationships I made there really got me accomplished, I would think, with the art of butchering, pigs in particular, and then the things that go with it. So bacon, sausage, ham, and then going into charcuterie, uh, like sauce, uh, salamis, uh, whole, whole muscle cures like capicola, uh, prosciutto, those kinds of things. Uh, that's, that's, that became kind of my avenue of, of exploration for uh, for for butchering and frankly i i did enough of it that i got good enough at it that i felt really comfortable teaching it have you personally butchered like like every animal that you like like chickens pigs cows whatever i mean have you have you have you been able to do all those animals? i have that's oh wow yeah. was that i mean I, I don't know i guess we don't need to get into all that but that's just i i, I mean i've never done it I, I, that, I don't know. Well, maybe I'll have to take one of your classes. I, I know we were talking before we started recording, you know, yeah. I just, uh, well, it's not for everybody. I mean, yeah. you know, one of the things is, you know, stepping up to a live animal and figuring out that, you know, the first step is to make that animal dead. And, um, I'm not, there are folks that can't do it. My wife, my, my, my partner in life and my farm partner and yeah. my meat collective partner, she can't do it. Uh, and she will at times leave the, leave the property. Cause these animals are really important to us. My pigs, I see twice a day for months, at least twice a day, sometimes three times a day. Um, and to, to look after them and make sure, sure that they're well, they're well, well cared for. And so when it comes time for them to go to freezer camp, um, it's, it's sometimes a tough day. But it is part of the process and part of what I've taken on as a responsibility, and 
And that's what, that's what I do. Do the people, when you take these classes, do you get to keep any of the meat or anything? Depends on how the class is structured. So so, sometimes they are. So like this summer, this, this season I did, uh, for the first time I raised a few pigs and I put them into what's called the whole hog. And so those folks that, that bought into that program, they bought the pig and they bought every single part of it. So they, they showed up with me and we killed the pig together we skinned the pig together, we eviscerated the pig together, got it into the cooler, we butchered it, we made sausage, we made ham, we're, we made bacon. We did absolutely every step from beginning to end. Uh, and I liked it. I liked doing it. I liked teaching that way. And I think it was really valuable for the folks that took, the, took those classes. So on the, on the classes that aren't structured that they get to keep the meat, what, what do you do with that meat? I mean, is it, is it for sale then? Like if people did want to buy it or, or, or maybe even the public, do you have a storefront that people can come and buy meat from you? Yeah. So I don't, so one of the, the unique things about my shop is I am approved by the Utah department of agriculture as retail exempt. Sure. So what that means is, and there's a, there's this, this gets pretty complicated is that if an animal is killed under inspection, so that means if an animal is killed at a inspected facility and I bring that animal, that carcass back to my shop, then I can sell bits and parts and pieces of it. So I can sell a steak, a chop, a roast, some ground beef, that kind of thing. Mm. So what, so I can do, well, I can do that. I don't do that. That is not my business. That is not my business model. My model is to, to teach. And so that's one of the challenges is sometimes if I'm doing a pig demo, for example, and I don't happen to have a pig, I would, I would go buy an inspected carcass. And then the participants in the class that I'm doing, that I'm demonstrating for that would be included in the cost of the class. They would each take home. If there were four participants, they would each take home a fourth of that, of that half a pig. Okay. Um, and so, and like the chicken class, for example, they're buying the chicken alive from me, we're killing it, taking it all the way through. And then in that case, yes, they're taking the chicken home. Um, so I try to do take homes as often as I can, but sometimes it's just not possible. And sometimes because of expense, you know, I mean, I, if, if I were to do a demonstration on a half a beef, a half a beef, beef may cost a thousand dollars. And that's a, that's a, if I add that to a class fee, that becomes prohibitive for some folks to show up and maybe that's not their interest is taking home a, uh, an eighth of a beef or a quarter yeah. of a beef. So uh, again, continue to try to figure out the right, you know, the exact right way to do it. And it's pretty flexible. I'll, I can do it a bunch of different ways. So do you, do you offer other things besides classes with the Utah meat collective or is that pretty much what the Utah meat collective is, is, is just the classes? It is pretty much just the classes. Okay. I, I didn't know if there were other things that you did or. Yeah, there or, are other things that I do. For example, you know, one of the things that a butcher needs to have is good sharp knives. Oh, well, sure. So I sharpen knives. Okay. Uh, for, 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 for people like business owners at restaurants, maybe or something. Um, it's mostly, it's mostly home cooks. Okay. Um, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's something that I offer as a service because I ended up having to become good at sharpening knives because I like really sharp knives when I'm, when I'm cutting uh, cutting and butchering. Do you have a favorite knife, like a brand or something? I don't know if there's yeah. like you know is that a thing? Is that a thing in the butcher world yeah. where, where you you have a favorite knife? It absolutely is. So there there's a German company called F, the, the the how we know of it here in the U.S. is called F Dick, 
and Frederick Dick is the, like that full name, right? of the company. Well, yeah, and and they 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 exploit that name a little bit, but that it's a it's a German knife and not super expensive, but really good quality. And and so yeah, so my knife that I use in my shop, I have a variety of knives. So if you and I were cutting together, sure. I have my knife and it's an F Dick, and you might have another one. Again, good quality equipment, good quality knives. It's going to be super sharp. But uh, the I, I kind of reserve the F Dick knives for me. And actually, just to back up, one thing I wanted to ask because I've I've been trying to get a little bit more into um, eating nose to tail of animals, right? Just because there's so many good nutrients and some of these other uh, animal parts that that we don't know about, right? Or that that most people that that we don't know that 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 people don't eat. I guess it's it's a better thing to say. Do you do you utilize the whole animal, or I mean, is there a way to to get some of those extra uh, uh, animal parts from you and extra bone? I don't know. Is that is that something that that, or maybe we need to talk off air? I don't know. No, yes. So so bones is a thing. Yeah. That I work really hard to try to find homes for. Okay. Okay. And sometimes it's hard because I give them away. Yeah. And, and it's it. So I I'll I'll put it out on social media and say, hey, I've got. I'll have this many bones available, and then sometimes people don't show up. And bones don't have a forever shelf life. I have a cooler that's sure. got stuff yeah. that's got to come in and out of it. So at times it gets difficult, but I really do try to utilize as much of the animal as possible or make it available to folks. Okay. Uh, the other parts are like heart, uh, liver, kidneys, those kinds of things. Those are not my taste. I don't, I've tried it. I've eaten a good share of that stuff. It's stuff I've made pate and I've tried to find ways to like it. I just don't like it. Uh, so, but it's good for you, man. It is way good for you. hundred yeah. percent. So, um, yeah. So if, the, if I know people are interested in that stuff, in fact, uh, I did a lamb class yesterday Yeah. and one of the fellows that was at that class wanted the, wanted the heart, wanted the liver, wanted the kidneys and actually wanted the cheeks out of the, out of the lamb. And he, I got that stuff all packaged up for me, came by my shop this morning and picked it up and was super excited to, to get that stuff. I would love to chat with you about getting some kidney from you. Yeah. Um, just because I like to mix it in with beef. It's really good. Well, it doesn't taste, it's good for histamine. I deal with uh, histamine intolerance. Oh, and uh, kidney is really good for that to help um, with that. Uh, you know, if you want to look into what some of, of the, what the species, uh, really, really any, any, I mean, uh, beef kidney, lamb kidney. Um, well, I mean, obviously not kidney beans, but <laughs> ah, that was a bad joke. But um, as, as far as I, I understand, you know, in, in the animal kingdom, it's a like for a like. Okay. So, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, animal part or body part you're trying to heal and work on. If you take that animal part, uh, with it, I, I currently, uh, take a kidney, uh, uh, capsules, gotcha. uh, freeze dried kidneys and capsules. And that, and it does seem to help. Uh, I forgot what it was. Um, I'll have to look it up after we stop recording what it is that's actually doing the helping with that. But, uh, it, it's, it's great for people with histamine intolerance. So if you're listening figure out a way to get some kidney in your, and obviously you can't go to like Winco or, or, or uh, Smith's and, and find kidney. Well, sometimes you can, I have seen, you can. It. I have you seen found it. it? Uh, yep. And some ethnic stores. So, okay. Well, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, get down to specialty shops yeah, and may, stuff like that. May have it, but uh, that is something that I have 
if I'm if I'm dealing with whole carcass, uh, I have I, I I have kidneys. In fact, I've got in my cooler right now. I've got pigs that I'll be cutting up this week with a group of guys that raised them, and uh, they were they were killed at a at a processing shop, and then they brought them over to me, and then we're going to butcher them. But they've got their kidneys in there. It's a customary practice, and I've asked, and I don't know why that the slaughtermen leave the kidneys in the animal. So they take all the other viscera out, mm. but the kidneys are still attached. And so I know for sure that there's kidneys in the pigs in my cooler right now. We took the kidneys out of the lambs that we did yesterday. Okay. But the, but the, but the pigs definitely have their kidneys in them and, and I'm sure no one will want them. So if you want them, all I'll, right, I'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk. Yeah. Let's, let's talk and figure out a way for me to, uh, to get them from you. But, uh, how social media seems like that's probably been a really big help for what you're doing. I mean, you do a, do a great job on social media. I've, I've enjoyed, uh, looking at your content on there. You post a lot of your, of your classes and, and what you do, at least on Instagram. Yep. Um, is, is that been an important part of your business? It is. It is the part of my business. The, the, the challenge that I face in what I do is it's, it's not for everybody. Not sure. everybody wants to learn this skill or not everybody wants to participate in it. I understand that. I get that. So I got to get, I got to reach a lot of people to get the the few that are super, that are interested in what I do. So I do try to put content out there, but it is a, a continuing challenge because I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm very good with social media. I'm sure that there's a lot of things I could do different and better, but I do what I can. And that's been the, that's been the avenue of how I've been able to attract the folks that, uh, that use my services. Well, and that's, that's how I, uh, really started stalking you, I guess. Let's be honest. I was doing a little stalking, but, uh, I, I don't think I mentioned this, um, before I know we were chatting before we started recording, but a, a shout out to uh, one of my listeners, Brittany, uh, for introducing me to what you have going on. She, I know she took one of your classes, and then, then I started following you on Instagram and I was just like, I, I love what this guy's doing. I, I think it's great. It's unique. It's, it, you know, I mean, I, I don't know anybody else doing something similar like that in the state of Utah. So the resources and the classes you offer. And so, so that was, that was why I, uh, I, I brought you through, I brought you on the podcast is, is again, the social media. Um, yeah, because people need to see what you're doing. Cause it is, it's, it's unique. It's different, but what's been the most rewarding thing for you? Has there, has there been like one or two all time rewarding things by doing what you've been doing over the last couple of years? Yes. Yeah. The, interesting question. And, and the one absolutely comes to mind. So one of my, my mentor helper friend, a guy that I, I owe a lot of debt of grat or I owe a debt of gratitude to is a guy named TJ. And TJ and I become friends, and he's a homesteader and was a pretty good meat cutter of his own. He had a friend, he has a friend that is uh, from India. Uh, so Prasad was having a hard time finding the kind of meat that he would eat in India, which was goat meat. So as it turns out, my one of my sons-in-law had a couple feral goats at his place and we went out and the, the county and neighbors and sheriffs, they said, you got to do something with these goats. They're causing trouble. So we killed those goats and we took them up and I called TJ. I said, TJ, do you think Prasad might be interested in these goats? And he said, absolutely. So within a few days, Prasad was at my shop. 
TJ was at my shop and Prasad is to, is instructing us how he wants it cut up, which was very simply. And then talking to us about how his mom used to cook it when he was a boy being raised in India. And it was one of the most special experiences I've ever had wow. because he was so connected to the, uh, to the meat, to the animal, so appreciative. And it really just was honoring the animal and its sacrifice, which it, it, I mean, it was dead. It was the ultimate sacrifice, but it just came across so, so clearly about how grateful Prasad was that TJ and I were taking the time to prepare this goat for him in such a way that he, it was familiar to him and how he was going to use it in his family and, and take it home to his wife and his kids to eat. A very, very rewarding experience for me. Do you, do you uh, currently raise goats? I don't. No, I don't. I, I don't understand. A lot of farms raise goats. I don't understand goats because I've had grandkids. We've got a few grandkids, actually, uh-huh. quite a few, 19. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they'll ask me, they said, grandpa, we need to get goats. And I said, well, okay, are, are we going to eat goat? And that's, that's, that's when they're like, uh, I'm not so sure we're going to eat goat. And I said, okay, well, we don't do farm pets. So for a lot of farms, goats are farm pets. And that's just something we don't do on our place. We don't do farm pets. You're either part of the production system and kind of contributing, or we're just not going to do it. So we don't do goats. I, uh, so, so in my younger years, I mean, I was taught, I mean, gosh, I, I maybe was like 10 years old, 11 years old. I was in 4-H yeah. and we did market goats, uh, would raise them. I think we did that for about three or four years. So three or four different goats, we'd raise them and then, and then go auction them off at the fair. And I mean, obviously whatever people did with the goat then, whether they used it for meat or. I'm, I'm assuming that's what they did, but you know, these goats were great. Cause, cause I, I, I grew up in California and we had this big giant hill in our backyard and they would graze on all that, that, uh, the grass and keep all that cleared off. Yep. Um, they're an amazing yeah. animal. They really are. And I've eaten goat. I think it's fine. I think it's perfectly acceptable. I'm a big fan of the taste. It, well, I, I didn't mind it, but I've also, as a lifelong hunter, eaten deer, elk, bear, you know, lots of other animals. So it had, does have a unique uh, a unique taste to it, but you got to draw the line somewhere. There's only so many animal proteins you can, you sure, can have in sure. your freezer, and we have enough. I, actually, speaking of you, you actually just recently, well, I say recently, maybe within the last month, a grizzly bear, didn't you have some? And you, you just ate some or, or made some or, or something? So it wasn't a grizzly bear. So I went on a, I was able to draw a Utah black bear. A black bear. Black me. bear. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. Yep. And was fortunate enough to be able to kill a black bear. And the thing I was most excited about is um, a lot of hunters, in fact, in the state of Utah, it's actually not a requirement to take the meat out of the field uh, because that. Uh, what, what do you mean by that? Meat out of the field. That's terminology I'm not familiar with. Yeah. So, so if you kill a deer or an elk, you have a harvest requirement. You have to take the meat with you out of the field. You have to take the hindquarters and the back, the front quarters and the back strap. You have to pack it home. Oh, you can't just leave it wherever you, 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 you shot it. You can't just take the head and and take it and go home. I gotcha. Uh, where bear, on the other hand, they, that that requirement does not exist because it's a predatory and carnivore animal and eats pretty much everything. Then it has a uh, the option of having trichinosis, that is a transferable disease. It's a parasite, and so the meat has to be treated very carefully. And so I think that's why the 
division doesn't division of wildlife doesn't require people to take bear out of the field. Okay. But I was excited about it because I've heard great things about how bear tastes and, and, and they were all true. It's been absolutely delicious. We've really enjoyed it. So instead of just being a hide hunt, so again, we took, we did take the bears hide because that's customary with a bear hunt. We also took every scrap of meat. In fact, my wife and I were alone on that hunt and it was her and I down in the woods uh, in the dark, skinning that bear and, and quartering it and packing it out uh, back to the four-wheeler and getting it back to camp. Pretty rewarding experience to share that with my wife. And then now we have some some bear in the freezer, which I've been able to share with some friends too. Sure. Yeah, I mean, why if if it's so good, why I wonder why places don't venture into that, like like restaurants why don't why can't you go in and get a bear burger you know what well uh, yeah so uh wild game is is not it's it's illegal to sell it oh interesting so it would have to have been farm raised and i don't know about the intricacies of farm raised well yeah yeah sure 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 okay but there are farm raised elk there are farm raised certain species of deer are farm raised so if you go to a restaurant in park city for example and they have elk burger on there 100% it was farm raised uh, somewhere it very well may be a elk like we have in the mountains in utah but it was raised on a farm in a captive environment I know like uh, have you ever been to lucky 13 in salt lake oh, by sure. chance yeah. uh, you know they they have obscure meets up there sometimes you know what ostrich and i want to say they had alligator burger or something once you know and and those always intrigue me because i'm like well you know what does this taste like you know and it even goes back to my 4-h days of 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 at the fair and you know you'd sample different animals and you know i guess i guess we just go back to beef and pork and and chicken you know and turkey those are those are staple meats you know those are the ones that yeah the the and yeah, those are the ones that we're most used to eating. Uh, I've got a really, I've gotten a good friend now who actually kind of chased me down. He raises sheep. He raises Suffolk lambs down in Fountain Green, which is in San, San Pete County. Yeah. And some of the best meat I've ever eaten is lamb. And we don't eat a lot of lamb. And it's confounding to me because it is absolutely delicious. Um, but we just don't. It's just yeah. not part of it's just not part of our normal everyday palate of what we're thinking for what's for dinner. Yeah. What's in store for the Utah Meat Collective? Like where where do you see the next five years taking you? I mean, do you have like new projects you want to do? Anything you want to disclose on the podcast? Or is it all just the way it is, or is it kind of top secret? So none of it's top secret. I'm open to ideas from okay. from anybody. So whether it's former students or uh, people that have an interest in what I'm doing, I I love talking to folks about what it is I'm doing. A lot of the classes that I offer, in fact, are private. And so what that means is I have classes that I construct, I put out, I make public, and people sign up for them. But it's possible also for people just to contact me and just say, hey, Tom, I want to learn how to process a pig. I happen to have a pig. Can you help me with that? With that? And then we put the logistics together and pricing, and we figure out how to do that. So, so I'd like to do more of that. That's one of the things that I like to do, and because that's you know one-on-one teaching that I think adds value. And those folks are going to be able to then go out and do that. They're the next pig on their own, or the next chicken on their own, or the next turkey on their own. So that that's kind of one of my goals. 
I'm really excited about a class I've got coming up this fall. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So it's called Harvest Fat. And that is really just kind of acknowledging that the, the, the magical pig comes with a lot of stuff that we don't use. You know, you talked earlier about kidney and some stuff that uh, uh, nose to tail eating. Sure. So inside the pig is lard that it makes amazing pie crusts, biscuits, those kinds of things. So I have been for quite a while looking for a, a good pastry cook to come help me. So what we're going to do in that class is we're going to show or demonstrate rendering the pig's fat into okay. lard. And then I'm going to turn the reins over to Bridget, who is my resident chef or my helper chef. And Bridget's going to make pie crust and she's going to talk about um, how to make biscuits or hand pies and those kinds of things, how to utilize the pig's fat, you know, in, in, in a really healthy way to make hopefully holiday pie. So that class is coming up in November and it's on my website. Okay. And, 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 um, you know, usually I'll even ask at the end. So we'll ask at the very end too here, uh, at, you know, here, here shortly, but, but let's, what, what is your website? Is it just utmeat.com, isn't it? Yeah. Something like yeah. That? yeah utmeat.com. Yeah. And easy to remember. Yep. Easy to remember. I was very lucky, I think, to get that, uh, to get that, uh, that domain. And then the other thing that is how I kind of go to market is, I have a newsletter, which is pretty simple. So people sign up for my newsletter, and that's the way that I announce when new classes are coming. I don't think I'm on your newsletter. i got to get on it. I, how have I not found this yet? Yeah, so just go to my website and click uh, click sign up. Okay. And put in your information, and then whenever I sign up a new class or whenever I come up with a new class that I'm going to publish to the website, I always give that newsletter audience 24 hours. Because some of the classes sell out pretty quickly, and I want the, the folks that have shown, expressed and shown the most interest, the first opportunity. And then if those classes don't sell out, then I'm, I'm uh, going to take it to social media, talk about it on Instagram, talk about it on Facebook, and, and uh, try to get those classes filled out. Most of my classes are pretty small. Four to six people is generally what I try to strive for because I want it to be Intimate may not be the quite quite the right sure. word, but I want it to be personal um, and that you know right up and close and where people can see and touch and ask questions and and have it be a, a high quality experience. It's not going to be a conference room or a, uh, you know a group of thirty people. It's going to be fairly small so that people can get a really a lot of value out of it. That sounds great. That sounds great. So so head on over to his his website to to sign up for the class. I have a few fun questions I like to ask people here, Tom, and, and you've listened to the podcast. You've probably heard me ask this. I actually stopped asking for a few episodes there, and then and then somebody brought it up, and they're like, you're not asking these questions. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I better bring them back. But, uh, uh, you know, we, so so you've lived in have – you, have you lived in Utah County for quite a few years? I guess you, you – sounds like you've lived in this area for a while. Yeah, 30, 35 years. Okay, so you've lived here for a minute. You're, you're familiar with the area, and – and whatnot. But one question, um, b- back with I am Salt Lake, I-, I would ask like, you know, we had family and friends visit us. Uh, you know, what, what would we do with them for the weekend? Where would we take them? Uh, and typically I'd keep it in Salt Lake, but, but with being in Utah County now, and you're in Utah County, let's keep it to Utah County, right? Let's get some people to adventure to Utah County. What would you, what would you take people to show them to do? 
Yeah. I I don't know. Yeah, no, I I understand. I I think uh, one of Robin's and my my wife's favorite places to go is Solitude. Okay. I think there's great restaurants up there. I think it's beautiful, particularly in the summer. Sure. I used to ski, may or may not be a skier now. I'm not quite sure if my knees are up to it. But in the summertime, that and then that whole Alpine Loop all the way up there. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Especially this time of year. Yeah, it's absolutely terrific. So, I mean, right here, not very far from us, is some pretty amazing scenery. You got Timpanogos in the background. So, Solitude is, I think, kind of a special gem that I don't know why. I mean, it seems like it seems a little bit forgotten even still that, you know, people just don't, it's not as crowded as you think it should be. What do you think of all the growth here? Over the last couple of years, I mean, are you uh, are you a lover of it, or or that sounds so weird? Are you a lover of this? No, uh, you know, what, what just what are your th- especially Spanish Fork, man? Spanish Fork has just been booming lately. It's on growth. fire, yeah. So I spent thirty years in the building materials uh, building materials supply business. Okay. So uh, that's how I earned my living was selling building materials to commercial and residential projects, and so I understand the need for people needing a place to live. Uh, one of the challenges I have is that we are building homes on the best farmland and the best um, agricultural land uh, in the county yeah. or in the state. Um, and so we're taking away some of that agricultural feel of why people want to live in Spanish Fork or why people want to live in Salem or Santaquin or, yeah. or what have you. Uh, so I, I don't have a good answer for that because a farmer – needs to monetize their yeah. their land and I understand that part of it but it's a it's it's a it, it's a I feel mixed about it but cuz people do need need homes we live we live there you know we needed a home we bought you know we bought yeah. property so um, it's, it is what it is. And we're just, we're going to try and coexist with it. It's kind of a catch 22 really, because you, you need the farms, like you said, but you, you know, at the same time, it's like, I think people have, have discovered the beauty of Utah. Right. So they're like, I want to live in this beautiful state. I want to, you know, with, with being able to work remotely and, and being able to, to do that, you know, people are like, well, I can live anywhere. Right. And, uh, so I get it, but I'm I'm kind of in the same boat as you are, where it's like if what you know you you can't build new land, you know once the land is gone, and you know then what do we have, and uh, especially down there, you know with with me being in real estate, I mean some of the the new developments in Payson and and like you said Sanaquin and and Spanish Fork, it's like these these big farmlands are 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 we are we going to lose them? Yeah, we are going to lose them. But here's an interesting idea. I uh, volunteer uh, with the Department of Agriculture on a committee called the Local Food Advisory Council. Okay, I and, need to get involved. This and, sounds great. Yeah, maybe. Um, and it uh, they, they talk about things like food security, things that are of legislative concern. And it's an independent committee that advises the Utah Department of Agriculture and then the, the House Representatives – they have representatives that actually come and sit uh, sit in on the meetings. So I heard about this new thing, and apparently it's not it's kind of new to Utah, but it's not new in the world. It's called an agrihood, and that's where uh, developers, in this case, a a, a lady got got uh, ninety acres of her grandpa's farm, and they're in the process of developing developing it. And part of their rule was that ten acres was going to be 
going to be kept in agriculture. So they've contacted local farmers to come in, urban farmers to come in, and, and they're going to they're going to farm a portion of the neighborhood and and set up farmers markets in that neighborhood but it's 90 acres and so there'll be commercial there'll be residential probably some high density stuff but there's also going to be farmland inside of it growing tomatoes and cucumbers and pumpkins or who knows what uh, for for the neighborhood I love that idea I don't know how to make that thing that idea a thing mm. but but the idea of an agrohood where we're mixing, that kind of high density housing, but I think we need open space as people. I think we need that kind of that connection back to where our food comes from. Um, I, I just I, I was really impressed with the idea, and I don't know where it'll go. As as we kind of wind this episode up, I mean, what what can my listeners do to help you out with the Utah Meat Collective? I mean, besides taking classes, is there you know what spread the word? I mean, what's the best best thing they can do? Um, so yeah, spread the word. I mean, the biggest challenge I have is, 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 is getting people to know that I'm, I'm out there and what it is I'm doing because there's, there's a handful of people, you know, one in 10, one in 20, one in a hundred that are interested in coming and learning how to process a chicken on their own. It's not everybody. I understand that, but I need to talk. I need to get in front of a lot of people to find the one in a hundred that are interested in those classes and so growing, growing that, that base, that base, whether it's on my social media or through my newsletter is really important so that when I am sending messages out, I'm getting it, I'm getting it into the right hands. And so that's a, that's something that I struggle with is making sure that I get enough people or continue to grow that audience. Um, because frankly, you know, a lot of the folks that uh, started with me have taken all the classes that. I offer. And while we've become friends, it's, it's, there's a, there's a finite number of things that people are going to be taking from me. And uh, so I need to continue to find new folks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how can people connect with you? Let's, let's kind of run down the list of uh, social media and then the website again and, and, and all of that. Yep. So my website's utmeet.com. Pretty simple. My classes are listed on the main page. Just scroll down partway down. You'll see the classes that I'm currently offering and if there's a class there that's sold out, um, just, uh, you know, either get in touch with me and just see if I happen to have any cancellations, get on a cancel list. You should also, while you're at my website, sign up for my newsletter. There's just click a button. It'll send you a confirmation email. You just have to click that and say, yes, I really did want to be on this email list. And I'm not sending out a bunch of emails. I really only send emails out when I've got new classes that I'm going to be publishing to my website. The other two places that I'm active is Instagram and Facebook, uh, and that's uh, the Utah Meat Collective. It's uh, Utah Meat. Uh, so if you were to search for UT Meat in either Facebook or Instagram, you should find me pretty easily. There's also links on my website that if you were to click the Instagram logo or the Facebook logo, it'll take you right to my social media pages. And I, I guess I need to spend some time on your website because I, I don't know if we're connected on Facebook. I, I, I know we're connected on Instagram, but I got to go check out your Facebook stuff. So it's all going to be the same, same content. Same content. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I, you and know, maybe I am. Yeah. Now that I think about it. Yeah. yeah. And you know, when the, you have the, for some reason, I'm just, it's just easier for me to, to post on Instagram and it, everything that I post there 
goes over to Facebook. There's a way to do that just kind of systematically. It goes, it, it posts over there at the same time. So I don't put post natively on Facebook very often. Most of the stuff I post natively is on Instagram. Gotcha. Gotcha. Anything else that you want to mention or talk about before we wrap this episode up, Tom? I mean, any, I know, I mean, I, we could probably talk for hours about everything that you have going on and, and that you're doing, uh, but why the mics are hot and, and why the record button's still going. You know, one thing I used to do is just stop and people are like, oh, I wanted to mention that. I wanted to mention this. So yeah. I don't know. So one thing to watch for is holiday turkeys. I've got, yeah. I've got seven turkeys in my pasture right now. Um, hopefully if the hawks, foxes, owls, raccoons, skunks, all those things stay away from them, then I'm going to, I'm going to have four or five turkeys that I'm going to be selling. And what I'd like to do is sell those as classes to where folks that, uh, are interested in processing their own, their own turkey for Thanksgiving can show up at my farm. We're going to go grab a turkey out of the field and then me and whoever that next person is, we're going to process that turkey from start to finish, and that turkey will be ready for the oven when they leave uh, leave my place. I have not posted those on my website yet, but those are coming, and that's a super fun experience. It's a great time of year. It's uh, the, the 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 quality of the meat um, is so much better. Actually, that is something I do want to talk about. Yeah, what do, what do you got? Um, one of the things that um, and and I don't know how, again how you piece this back together. But the the qual the meat quality that we're getting in the stores is just not very good, and you know well raised meat whether it be chicken and I tease that you know the chicken we raise tastes like chicken and it sounds like a joke and it's yeah. really not. But the pork is very porky. The beef is very beefy. It just tastes better than the than the factory farm or the the commercially raised stuff. And that's not accessible to everybody. But when possible, if you can find local, if you can find well raised meat whether it's at a local butcher shop or somebody like me or a neighbor or a friend or somebody that's raising livestock, the the meat quality is going to be vastly different. And I think people will be pleasantly surprised with how, how much better it tastes than the stuff that's available uh, at a, in a retail setting. You know, it's interesting you, you brought that up because I was, you know, that's actually one of the things I've always been curious, like what the difference between grass fed and grass finished. But, but that's actually another thing too is, is is grass fed meat like more of an acquired taste? Because I can't handle the taste of grass fed meat. To be honest with you, I'm more of a grain fed meat type of. Does it? You know, I don't know. Does it taste different to you? Grass fed. You know, it does not. Really? And 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 I get it. I've heard I've heard what you're talking about, Crystal, uh, uh, a bunch of times. And so what we what we have on our place, and again, we only have a couple. We raise Dexter beef, and we're we're grass from start to finish. And, uh, but they're, but we also let them get, get good sized on grass and it takes longer. Uh, it takes longer. So they do build up fat, uh, intramuscular fat, and they do have the kind of fat and marbling that we might expect in kind of grain finished. One of the problems with finishing with grain is that ruminant animals really aren't designed to digest grain. And so the grain has to be medicated in such a way that it kind of keeps their tummies calm. Mm. Um, and it, but it does, it does make, does and can make delicious beef. I'm not denying that. Sure. Uh, but, but really the, the getting the beef to, to, to that level on just grass, I think just takes a little more time and given the right amount of time, I've, the beef that we've raised the last couple of years has been 
phenomenal. All grass, grass fed beef. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. And maybe I just need to try some of your beef, you know what I mean? Like, maybe. Because it's it's not that it, 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 it's just not my preferred taste. But again, it's like somebody who probably goes from, say, a standard American diet of all processed food to maybe a more of a natural way of eating, you know, our, our taste buds. You know, I think a lot of it is just our taste buds, really. Yeah. yeah so you know, this may or may I mean, I don't know that this would fit in, but a few years ago, I, I bought a, a prime rib roast and I knew better, but I did it anyway at a big box store. And because we didn't have beef at the time, okay. we had like everything else. And I was craving, I wanted some beef. So, uh, we bought, we bought this prime rib roast and I mean, not to brag, but I did a great job cooking it. I mean, it was really, really well, well cooked. It was the right temp. It was well seasoned. Everything was right about it. Robin and I sat down to eat it and it tasted like nothing. <laughs> I mean, literally nothing. And it was, you know, a $50 piece of meat and it just had no flavor in it at all. Yeah. And, and, and it left an impression on me that the, 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 the animals that we raise and we, frankly, we just don't buy meat because we've, we've got all the meat that we need. It tastes, it's very fully flavored. And so I don't know if that's the thing about the mm. grass fed part of it, that you're really tasting the beef. And the other, I, thing, I don't know. Yeah. The other thing is is we don't eat, it's more filling. Like it used to be, I could eat a whole pork chop anymore. It, we split a pork chop. We split one pork chop because it is just so densely. I think it's the nutrient, it's nutrient dense um, and uh, just full of flavor. Uh, just different. Okay. Now I got to try some of your meat then. You know, that's, well, let's that's, figure out how to make that happen. Well, we're going to, we're going to make, I'm going to come take some of your classes. Remember, we'll, we'll talk off air here. We'll talk off air when we're, uh, when we're done recording, but, uh, well, man, dude, I, I am so glad to bring you through the studio. I'm so glad you, you took some time out of your evening to, uh, come in and, you know, cause I know this is tough, right. To come in and do this and take time out of your evening, but, uh, hopefully it's been beneficial a little bit coming here and, oh, and I, chatting, you know, I appreciate the opportunity and, and it, I, I don't know if you could tell, but I light up because when yeah. I talk, I'm very passionate about this stuff. I could tell. I talk when, you know, I light up, I love talking about it and, and, um, and sharing, sharing what I'm doing and sharing with other people. And, and if I'm just sharing it with one person, I'm just as excited as if I'm sharing it with 10. It doesn't matter to me. I, it's, it's just, I, to me, it's a very cool thing that I get to do. And I could tell that by sitting here and talking with you, Tom, because I've chatted with a lot of people and I could tell the people that I chat with and it's like, it's just a job for them. Or, you know, there's like, Oh, you know, this is what I do. And I could tell, Hey, you know, they're just doing it for a paycheck, but I could tell this is your passion. You know, and I, I bring people through here and I talk with them and, and, and I feel that radiating. Is that the word, what the word I'm looking for? Oozing from you. You like, you're just, just, I could feel it, your aura, your, your vibrations. And, uh, it's, I, I you, you, you found what you, you know, you found what your calling was yeah. and what you need to do. I'm very lucky in that way. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I am. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, I am passionate about it. It's hard work, man. I got to tell you, it is, it is, it is work, you know, raising, you know, running a farm and raising animals and taking care of them and, and all the stuff, uh, that, that goes on behind it. But then when I sit back and I have a chance to talk with other folks about it, it continues to be a good source of energy for me. And I really love it. And being able to share that with other folks is uh, pretty special. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing the podcast, Tom. 
Thank you again to Tom Wheatley for joining me on this episode of the podcast. I mean, what a great conversation with the, with him and, and finding out all about the Utah Meat Collective, all the classes that they offer. Oh my gosh, I think I want to take one of those classes. And so if, if, you would, if you're interested in taking one of the classes, let me know. Shoot me a DM. Send me a text message. Uh, maybe we could take the class together. That'd be kind of fun, right? You know, maybe maybe some listeners of the show and, and myself, we can go uh, take some classes from Tom. But uh, many thanks to Tom. Uh, reach out to him if you, if you enjoyed this episode. Tell him hello. Tell him uh, you appreciate what he's doing at the Utah Meat Collective. And uh, yeah. And again, uh, support, our, uh, support our show sponsor, the Red Sign Real Estate Team. Head on over to chris.redsign.com if you're looking to move to Utah. Uh, you can search for homes right there in, uh, in the state of Utah at chris.redsign.com. But I'm here every week, so make sure to hit the follow, subscribe. That way all the podcast episodes get sent right to your uh, podcast app. So you guys have a great week. Much love to all of you, and uh, we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye now.